bad, bad addict. Um, every time I was able to get a loan, I was doing drugs. I've been in prison four times, twice in the state, twice in the feds. I was doing all this crazy stuff, cooking drugs and just staying high. God called me from a prison cell. I was a homeless drug addict, and my hope was found in a needle. I was eight months pregnant, homeless, um, living out of my van. You know, it wasn't freeway that saved me, it wasn't John Stroop that saved me, but God uses freeway in such a mighty way as a tool to reach these people. There's not a community or a county in America that doesn't have a drug problem. And the, the church has the answer and it's the gospel of Jesus Christ. Welcome to Freeway Ministries, One Broken Life at a Time. My name is John Stroop. Uh, I have a couple guests with me today, special guests, my friends, Will and Amber Clendenin. Welcome. Thanks. Thank you. How are you guys doing today? Doing pretty good. Will doesn't feel good today, so that's the truth, but he's here anyway. We're going to follow up with part two. If you have not watched part two of the podcast, um, we would encourage you to go back and watch that before you watch this one. Um, if you do like our podcast, feel free to support us at freeway-ministries.com. You can jump on there and support us as we reach One Broken Life at a Time. The One Broken Life at a Time podcast uh, is very unique because we explore the lives of people who have been transformed from the pit to the pulpit, uh, from the dope house to the church house, right? And so we, we just find it interesting to explore the lives of broken people, where they've come from, and how God has restored them and brought them from uh, that place of despair to the place of uh, where their life is now found on the, the rock, which is Jesus Christ. And so I'm excited today to go into part two of your story. And um, you guys are both married. I'm sure they know you're not brother and sister with the same last name. <laughs> so uh, part one, we just kind of touched the basis of where you guys came from and, and where God brought you all from. And so uh, part two, I just kind of want to start on uh, the exit. Now you're BC. Uh, this, is, this is kind of your... Before life, before Christ's life, we've shared that. We've gone through the dark times and stuff like that. And so now we're going to take that step into you're being released, you're coming out of prison, you're coming out of jail, and you're joining up with Freeway Ministries and partnering with us. And so, uh, Will, the last episode, we ended on you in the jail, pacing in front of the door, wondering if they're going to let you out because they had a warrant on you. They couldn't let you go and release to our program, which is the Freeway Ministries Discipleship Program. And so um, so let's talk about that. So you get out, right? Mm -hmm. What kind of touch bases on that? What happened there? <clears throat> so I, I got out, and then uh, you picked me up, and then we went to uh, the Freeway Ministries Discipleship House in Marshfield, and that's where I, I got settled in and, and um, got to meet the guys at the house there. And we... Uh, got a discipler and kind of started learning how to navigate through the Bible, which I didn't know anything about. So. Yeah. So, uh, so your first, let's talk just for a minute about that exit out of um, jail or prison, because one of the things I don't think people understand is the, that transition period. Mm -hmm. 
what it's really like for somebody, uh, first of all, not even to come to a, a Christian environment. You know, when I mean Christian environment, the discipleship house is more than just I'm a Christian and this is where I live. The discipleship right. house is, a, is, an, is an atmosphere of change is what I believe it is. It's, it's got everything there. It's got your mentors, structure. You get addressed for behavior. I mean, it's you learn how to study your Bible. You get plugged into the. I mean, it's, it is the heartbeat of Jesus, right? Missions, discipleship, and evangelism. And so uh, you enter from jail. And, and just not uh, where I'm getting at is when we say Christian environment, we're not just saying, okay, Christians live here. We're saying... This is an environment where Christ is the center, and you're going to live this way, or you're going to Amen. go somewhere else and live, right? Right. Uh, and so, I think it's important for us because all of us have been to prison, all of us have had to make the transition from prison to society. But to the person listening or watching on YouTube or listening on Spotify or app, the Apple Podcast, um, I don't think they some don't understand that transition just into the normal, like secular society not even a christian environment or discipleship house what it takes and what it's like to get out of jail and then enter the world and have to start over again and all the stuff you go through so kind of let's talk about that uh we'll talk about your transition we'll talk about your transition amber but what's that like will what was it like leaving the jail and then um entering into this men's home Okay, yeah, so I think what you're talking about is like entering in and not having any clothes, not having a driver's license, not having an ID, social security card, or a job, or any kind of work history. A way to prove who you are? Yeah. Well, that's, see, your situation and her situation mm -hmm. aren't the same. Right. So it's different. We have two different situations, but it's the same. You're still entering from one environment, institution, mm -hmm. to this world. And so what was, your, what was yours like? Well, and that's what... I was saying is like I didn't have the uh, all these things. I didn't have an ID. I didn't have clothes. I didn't have um, a job or any kind of work history. I've been homeless for uh, about 10, 15 years, somewhere in between there. So really it was a complete transition, not just from being in and out of jail, but from being on the streets where it didn't really matter if I had an ID or not because I wouldn't tell you my real name anyway. And so um, trying to, to establish those things and getting a driver's license and and um, rebuilding my credit and, and savings and, and getting a bank account. It was, um, so we had to start all the way from the bottom. So what was your first night like in the men's home? Um, my first night, um, it was real unexpected. I didn't really know, you know, how long I was going to be there, if I was going to make it, if I was going to end up in California. I was, there was a lot of question marks. Okay. So you were... You enter in, and what was it like? You walk in the door. I mean, what what we have a GoPro on your forehead. Yeah. You walk in the house. What was it like? Well, I can think about the the first drive down the driveway to the Marshfield house, and just seeing like I had no expectations of like what the house was going to look like or anything. Like I've been in a, in a halfway house. I've been in a recovery program before, but I, when I pulled down that driveway, I just remember seeing this big, beautiful white house with a big pond in the back. And I was like, wow, that's the first thing I remember. So, yeah. And so you're, you're in the men's home. Uh, you have rules to follow, mm -hmm. a structure to live by, um, people holding you accountable. How was that? How was that for you? Um, it was, it was rough at first, you know, we had a, 
pretty hardcore chore coordinator that was on me about my chores. Who was your chore coordinator? I just Craig Craig Teeman. Okay. <laughs> okay. <laughs> Craig Teeman, he was on me. And, yeah. Uh, you know, I had some issues. It was not perfect. What's the chore coordinator doing the men's home? Make sure that everybody's on on task and doing their chores exactly how they're supposed to. So. What if the chore What if the chore checker or chore chore leader uh, doesn't? What if you don't do your job and the chore leader misses your job? What happens? He asks you to come back and do it again. Yeah. yeah. So, and then there's problems, right? Yeah. There's issues between you and him, and now he's really on you. Yeah. Like, hardcore. Yeah, I got the target on my back now. <laughs> <laughs> what was your chore? Uh, well, the one specific one that we, we, we got into it over was the stairs. Okay. At one time, I remember I didn't, I didn't get... I think somebody walked up and got dirty after I was done, but... <laughs> oh, <laughs> Okay. Yeah, that was my You're argument. You're minimizing. That was, that was my argument. <laughs> yeah, justification. It, yep. Justifying criminal mentality. That was my that was my argument. Yeah, you and did so, it, but somebody messed it up for he. Yeah. So you had to work was, on that attitude. Absolutely. You had to take that criminal mentality and get crushed. Mm-hmm. And learn to love Craig Teeman. Amen. Amen. What about you, Amber? Let's talk about your transition. You Did you come from a state or federal prison? I came from a state prison, um, and, and I came home. Um, I um, I came. I had a safe place to come home to. Um, there was no drugs or addiction in my home, and my son was there. So um, my mom let me um, home plan there, um, but she didn't think that I was going to do right. Um, she she knew I'd gotten saved, but she was still real apprehensive, um, and my leash was very short. Um, so I had to get a job where she could take me. Um, and before, um, she'd bought me a car when I got out before, and this time was, was much different. And so um, I had a friend um, that I knew that had just gotten out a few months before me, and she worked um, at a local Sonic. And I went there the first day, got a job the first day there. So I worked that whole summer, um, but I still, um, I, I couldn't get my, my mom to help me with anything. Um, she'd make sure I got to work and back. And so, um, good for her. Yeah, she did. She really, um, she showed me grace by not giving me everything that she'd done before. And it was hard for her. Um, I, I know my, my mom's gift is, um, is giving. Um, she loves to give and loves to be a help. Um, and it was hard for her to, to step back and not do that. And so um, I think probably the toughest thing for me was I didn't know how my son was really going to respond to me. Um, he had, I'd been sober um, for 10 years and relapsed. And so he never knew me on drugs. He never knew that lifestyle. He never um, was subjected to that. And when I relapsed, I opened a whole um, world for him and, um, and he'd never been around that. And so I didn't really know how he was going to um, respond. And I think that was probably the hardest transition because my mom had been raising him, was still giving her the respect because she's been the one that's been there. And then trying to transition into being his mom, um, that was a really, really difficult transition for us. So so how old was your son? He's 18 now. How, how old was he then? Um, he was almost 13 or just, had just turned 13. When um, you got out this yeah. last time? Mm-hmm. Okay. So five years? Mm-hmm. Five years ago. Well, I'd say a little over five years. Yeah. 
So you've been out a little over five years. Mm-hmm. So if you guys are listening and you didn't listen to, you're listening right now and you didn't listen to part one, then you're not listening to what I told you because I asked you to go back and listen to the first one <laughs> earlier. So, but you know, our people don't listen very well. And so uh, Amber and Will both come from uh, a past of addiction and crime. And so, um, and so Amber had a home uh, family that was supportive and loving and Christian. And so she had every opportunity to mm-hmm. do right. And she did wrong. And Will, just the opposite. I mean, he had a loving family, but addiction and just, I don't know if you want to call it immaturity, not knowing how to raise children, whatever the case may be. But your environment was opposite of Amber's. Mm-hmm. And so that that should go to show people that it doesn't really... It doesn't mean that you did wrong because your kids are using drugs mm-hmm. or committing crime. You have a higher likelihood of having someone that is your a child commit crime and do drugs if your home is messed up. But just because it isn't messed up, or just because you know, just because, um, just because your children go that way, doesn't mean that you did something wrong. That's what I'm trying to communicate yeah. here. A little tired, but uh, I hope I hope I did well well communicating that. Um, so let's talk about the first place you served in church. So you guys are married, obviously. Um, Will, you don't come from a church background. Amber, you do come from a church background. Uh, Amber, you got saved in prison. Mm-hmm. You yes, know, And I did. Will, you got saved in jail. Yeah. Right? And so uh, so you get out of jail. You're, you're humbling yourself by working at Sonic because I know you, and I didn't know that about you. And so that's pretty cool. Um, yeah. And then, Will, you, you get out of uh, jail. What, what, what was your idea of church, Will? When you come out of jail and you're like, okay, I'm in the men's home, the men's house, you have to go to church. If you don't go to church, what happens? I mean, I, it wasn't an option not to go to church, I don't <laughs> believe. So. You get kicked out. <laughs> yeah. yeah, yeah you, lose your, you lose your program, that's, right? That's not an option. So okay. So you, you get out, you're in this home, you're saying, okay, this is the way we're going to live. We're going to get up early, read our Bibles. Mm-hmm. We're going to have mentors mentor us. We're going to be at class uh, almost every evening except for Tuesday. You have class of some kind. Um, and so here you are. And so now you, you have this expectation you're going to go to church. And, and for me, church was weird. People were weird. Uh, I was nervous around church folks. And so I, that's how I felt. I was scared, intimidated, uh, embarrassed because of my past. So what was it like for you? You're, you're going to church. What was that experience like? Well, and I think that I mean, even going back to what you said about the Bible reading and that I'm so thankful for those things because that's what sunk in. That's the root. That was the, that's what caused the roots is those mandatory Bible times that started 30 minutes and now they're up to an hour and 20 minutes four years later. So thankful for those. Amen. And uh, so going into the church, I really didn't have an expectation, so I was kind of like real just kind of just watched watched everything and see how uh, things work. And then I seen an older man named Alan Greenfield. Okay. Old farmer man. And um, and I said, I think I'm supposed to be discipled, whatever that means, because I'm in a discipleship house and I feel like I'm missing something. And he said, well, we'll, we'll go over this together. And so, and then he started meeting with me once a week and uh, kind of showing me how to navigate and teaching me the Bible and, teaching me life verses that I didn't know or how to apply them if I'd had read them. And so. Amen. So church was your first day you walk in, you run into Alan Greenfield. 
Yeah, who's down, a, downstairs. Yeah. Excuse me, he's a retired truck driver. Yep. You'll know that about him if you meet him for very long, right? He talks about his truck driving days and uses those applications and illustrations to teach. Very practical. Very practical. Loves the, loves the men in the homes. He's very, very father figure-ish, if that's a word, mm-hmm. uh, right? Grandpa, father to you guys. And so, uh, which is cool. And so our guys and gals, they, they need parent figures, right? We need mothers and fathers because lots of times, either like me, my mom and dad are dead. Uh, never had a dad. I had a fatherless home. And, you know, your your mom passed away and your dad's far away and kind of that that home was unstable. And so you needed a father figure and, and Alan was able to be that for you, right? Yep. Amen. Exactly. So what was what was the first place, and then we'll switch to you, Amber, but, well, what was the first place you actually served? The first place I actually served was a parking coordinator for the church. And that's... Uh, lining up the cars and greet you're the first person they see so we're greeting people we're lining out the cars so they're not having accidents out there that was the first place that, that i served so you're out you're parking church folks cars for them with with best on in the middle of the winter yeah yeah, yeah it was fun. awesome yeah for the lord for the lord yeah cool. and that's something when i um that i learned that it wasn't just about that it was working with the guys the other guys in the house working with them and getting to know them and and, and hanging out with them and so when i became the house leader they kind of did without the parking lot thing but then i brought it back because i remember the days that i had out there and how it brought us closer together so we brought it back amen yeah cool what about you amber what was it like for you you get out of prison and uh i remember seeing you at freeway Mm -hmm. like it was yesterday you were hiding under the bill of your hat yeah and uh and so you come and uh, here you are entering into the ministry, but what coming to the outreaches and then somebody got you plugged in. I think we might have touched on it briefly, but let's kind of go back to that. What was it? What was it like entering back into church in the church environment after being in prison and, and being gone? Church wasn't so intimidating for me because I I had been raised in church. I understood the norms, you know, Sunday school, regular service, you worship for three songs, you listen, you know, so I understood how um, church norms were. So church wasn't super intimidating for me. Um, but coming to freeway was intimidating for me, because I, I had never been to a freeway service, and I didn't really know who to expect to see. And I knew that a lot of people that had that came to freeway services were people that, um, that I'd known in the past, and I, and my parole officer wanted me to um, do something recovery related. So um, I wanted to do something that was faith based or Christ centered, and so I started coming, and I would um, sneak in and out, um, and I had to go to the bathroom one night, and the bathrooms were all the way on the other side of where I would sit, and so I had to weave my way through the crowd, um, and I'm looking for a line to get um, around everybody, to just kind of avoid everybody. And, and Hannah, um, my best friend, Hannah Gonzalez, she walked up to me and, hi, I'm Hannah. And I thought, what is wrong with this chick? She was so happy. Um, she had so much joy. And she, um, I didn't realize at the time, but she'd been watching me. And knowing her, how I know her now, um, God just shines a light on 
women that she um, needs to minister to. And so she started talking to me and I started avoiding her. Um, and she's still trying to talk to me and I still try to avoid her. Um, but then you um, made the announcement from the pulpit about band ministry and God had really been working on my heart about serving. You need to get more involved. You need to serve. You need to serve. You need to serve. And, um, and I finally said, okay, the next opportunity I'll do it. And that led me to picking up the women from, um, Carol Jones and Hannah, um, she taught a class at Crossway, and those women went there on Sunday. And then they needed somebody to pick them up for church on Sunday because they had to drive in a, a separate vehicle. And so I would pick them up, and that's how I started to build a relationship with Hannah. And so the first place that I served was the van ministry and still do, still so s- serve on the van ministry. What's Carol Jones who picked them up? Um, the women in the um, treatment centers. Cool. Yeah. And so we're really trying to get that back. Mm-hmm. COVID kind yes. of put a snowball on those picking them up, and which is sad, but it is exciting to go pick those treatment centers up. So you're had you ever been in Carol Jones treatment before? I had. Um, I had been there um, three times, and each time um, I was um, respectfully asked to leave. Each time, so we call that invited to leave. Yes. <laughs> so, so it sounds really nice. Yeah. <laughs> So I um, here I am picking up these women, and um, you know if you fast forward years later, um, Hannah and I did a Bible study there, and and I as I'm picking them up, and I can see the the look on their faces. There, a lot of them have lost their children. A lot of them are there. Um, this is the most broken that they've ever been. And I thought, you know, God is using this van to do this. And I never thought that he would ever, ever use, um, use me to even pick them up, let alone get to talk to them and pray with them. And there's still women that, um, were on that van that I still see today that come to service and, um, that Hannah and I have a relationship with. And so it really, um, the treatment ministry is probably one of the biggest um, impacts of my life because God used it to show me what he wanted to do with my life. And we didn't, uh, we did not share the theme, kind of the theme verse for our podcast, but it's Psalms fifty one seventeen, a broken and contrite heart. The sacrifices of God are a broken and contrite mm-hmm. heart. Uh, and it talks about a broken heart. And it says um, that God won't despise that, you know, and my Bible's full of broken people that God uses and I think sometimes we get caught up on tradition or, you know, what people look like in the church or, you know, we say, well, we could never because we're just too, you know, we don't, we're not able anymore because of what we've done is too too late for us or God couldn't use people like us. And I don't know where we get that idea from, but it's not from the Bible. And so uh, it's exciting to see people be used and then realize that they can be more than just a church member. You know, you can actually go to work for God and, and serve Him, and that's exciting. But I remember you hiding under that and then getting the keys and starting to, and I'm like, who's this little short-legged girl keeps running around here everywhere? <laughs> you know, who is that in the hat, you know? And I, anyways, it's, it's pretty neat to see you serving with us now on staff and how God is using you in that way. Um, so what are your dreams today? 
you're the new man, you're the new woman, you're in Christ, you're out, you're plugged in. You both have a church family. You both have Sunday school classes or Bible fellowship classes, intimate, you know, small group meetings where you meet with other believers. Um, you both have areas to serve today. Before before we talk about your dreams, where do you serve at today? You guys want to share that, Will and Amber? Mm -hmm. I was just uh, thinking about that when uh, she was telling the story about transportation and van ministry because that is where we serve together. And, uh, and I was thinking about being that the first pe the first person people see. So I mean, we, it's really a big responsibility uh, and and to be ready and to share the Lord before we even get here. We've had revivals on the way to on the way to. Uh, freeway ministries in the, in the vans and I think it's um, so that's where we serve together we're the leaders of the transportation um, well we you serve other places besides transportation oh yeah that's what they do they tell us they correct us <laughs> <laughs> yeah she corrects was, Charlie's story it wasn't Tuesday <laughs> it was Monday yeah it wasn't at night it was a day yeah. it was two o'clock not five o'clock right? but I did pause just to yeah we're gonna not match you go ahead <laughs> That's why I look to you. Help me. <laughs> no, but you do serve. Where else do you serve at? Um, where else do I serve? Oh, I get opportunities to, to preach every once in a while. Yep. Amen. And that's exciting with Freeway Marshfield and Restoration Connection in Branson. And we just started serving as the welcome team at um, Crossway. Wow. Okay. Mm -hmm. You're the welcome wagon. Yeah. We are. That's awesome. <laughs> yeah. Praise the Lord. Yeah. So they used to see you first at Cross Bridge Baptist Church in Marshfield. Right. And now they see you first at Cross Crossway. So God's putting you in the spotlight in front of everybody. Yeah. And you're you're preaching the word. Yep. What'd you preach about last time? Uh, dealing with sin, Proverbs twenty eight thirteen. Okay. Cool. Awesome. And the guy who is the director of Marshfield where you preach, he used to be under you in the men's house. Yes, and that is my Hannah. That is my best friend. So, what's his name? Mike Simons. Shout out to Mike Simons. Yep, he's Amen. Doing, he's doing work out there. So. Amen. And so what about you? Your first ministry was the bus, the vans? The vans um, yep. and then treatment. Um, we Because we picked up two treatment centers, um, and I get to teach with Hannah. We, we teach a, a, a women's um, class, which is still crazy to me. I can't believe that um, that they, they let me teach. Um but I love it. It's one of um, it's one of the most encouraging things to me to to teach women and um, to see their lives changed and to see God use the word to do that. Um, and then I there's a lot of places that um, on Saturday I'm just kind of scattered wherever there's wherever somebody needs something. Um, and so I've served on. I have not served in the kitchen. That I have not served well, in the we'll kitchen. We'll help you fix that. <laughs> we'll get you I, out. I think there's tons of kitchen workers, John. Yeah. Everybody um, wants to be there anyway. Yeah. So it's a place that never really struggles with volunteers. No. I think, can I say one thing real quick? Say whatever you want. Okay. Um, I think it's a pretty cool, so when we talk about serving, that we, we get to serve no matter where we're at. I was thinking about uh, two days ago on a lunch break, this guy really wanted to talk to me, and I got to lead him to the Lord on my lunch break. Wow. So no matter where I'm at, I'm in service. Amen. And you so, get to. Nobody yep. has said they have to here. Yep. You know, mm -hmm. we don't have a have to attitude. We That's have a right. get yeah. to. And what's cool about Freeway is, uh, plug for Freeway, is that once you start and you really get a hold, God gets a hold of you here, it's us, it's not them, or it's not Freeway anymore. There's a guy that came and did a tour of the building. He's a retired guy. 
uh, he owns some nursing homes and he's just become a pretty good friend of mine and uh, he's a senior guy and uh, he's never even been here okay and he, and he heard me preach at Crossway and asked me if I'd go have lunch with him and anyways he started supporting us and uh, I took him on a tour today and about two weeks ago when I was talking to him he said I was telling them about us talking about freeway you know it was already us. Oh, yeah. That's yeah, cool. it wasn't freeway anymore. It wasn't mm -hmm. you guys. It was us, you know. Yeah. And that's what happens is it becomes a part of you. Uh, Miss Thelma said, I'm converted to freeway now. <laughs> she, she she was converted. God used, used the ministry to show her people like us can change, right? That's right. And yeah. so the world addresses you guys and me as addicts uh, because we have a history of drug addiction. And the world addresses us as criminals because we've committed crimes, but we, we don't we don't identify that way. Um, we identify as Christians, followers followers of Christ, and our identity is not in our mistakes. Or our identity is not in our sin. Our identity is found in Christ, and so that's that's uh, one of the things that we teach and preach. And and so, uh, what are your dreams today? What do you guys have? What is like? What is your dream? What is what is it God put on your heart? If you could have like. The thing that is God is, I want to say your dreams comes true because that's kind of yeah, cheesy. No, I understand. But what what would that be? Well, to to be honest with you, it would be doing exactly what I'm doing. I'm working, providing for my family, and then my first ministry, and then getting to evangelize and do ministry outside of work. So it's it's uh, and inside my job. So it's, I mean, I really couldn't say I could ask for any more. Um, that's what my heart desires is to take care of my family and for evangelism. I wish we could show your buckshot to our people right now. But coming from Walmart Will, uh, the homeless maniac in the tombs, walking up down the street in Branson, looking like you need to be in a straitjacket, yeah. to working at a new dealership in Springfield car, car dealership and having them pursue you for a job. To work in the sales department or the parts department, yeah, which is incredible. You know, it's powerful, man. And if you're listening or watching right now, and maybe you're struggling, or maybe your son or your daughter, I would just encourage you guys not to give up. You know, that's right. Because if God could do it for me and you guys, He could do it for anybody. Correct. And so, what about you, Amber? What What would be your answer to that question? What What's your dream today? What would like where you're headed? Where you want to be in life? Um, I would agree um, with Will. I was thinking about this um, the other day um, as I was picking up our daughter and I was um, taking her um, to her doctor's appointments. I thought how grateful I was that we have insurance, that we all our needs are met, that God is faithful, that he is sovereign, and that he has given us everything that we need. Um, but for me, I think probably my biggest dream is that my kids would serve the Lord. Um, I'm, I'm praying that, that their hearts would be healed from what we've done, um, and that God would do a work in their lives. So that is my biggest ministry right now is my home, my kids. Um, and so I, I want to, um, serve wherever the Lord places my husband, um, and wherever we're at, I, I want to serve like we're doing, but for me, 
uh, my biggest prayers right now is for our children. Amen. It's funny you mention that because I have my notes and uh, sit in front of me at the table on my Bible. And, uh, you know, I wanted to talk about your kids. I mean, we don't have a lot of time right now. I, I have so much more to, to talk about. But um, you guys are a blend family, right? And so, Will, you got custody of your daughter. What, was she seven? She was six. Six. Yeah. Okay. And so, uh, let's. can you just give a, a Reader's Digest version of that experience of you getting Madison back? And then you have David. And, yes. uh And so, you guys have taken your families and put them together, uh, you know, and now you have a home, right? And so that is incredibly hard because I have a blended family. And so I understand what that's like. And so why don't you just real quick, Will, what was that like uh, transitioning, getting Madison, and then now talk a little bit about the blended family, if you would. Okay, so um, I started getting visits of Madison when I was in the discipleship house, and I forget exactly around what time, but in going and picking her up on the weekends and then staying at Allen, my disciples' house, and, and staying over there and having Madison for the weekend and taking her to church with me it was rough because Madison didn't know me as her dad. She didn't understand why she was going with me. And it, so just getting, trying to get to know her and, and have her get to know me. And through that process, I, I realized that there was a problem going on where, uh, where she was living. That, that was a, a house where drugs were being used and sold and I knew I had to do something, and so I started meeting with a lawyer, and and it just so happens right at the time I was getting ready to graduate, it all came together. I got custody of Madison, and um, she ended up living, she lived with me, and um, about a year later, me and Amber started talking, and then nine months later, we uh, we got married, and then we live, and now we all live together, and it is, and it is difficult. Because uh, Madison has no contact with her biological mom. And so it's just trying to learn how to navigate everybody's emotions, feelings, or how it, it's difficult. It is difficult. And I'll say this, and there will be people that don't agree with me, but uh, it doesn't matter because I know I'm right on this thing. <laughs> just being honest. Uh, your biological children have a special bond with you no one else can understand. Yeah. And no matter how much you love your kids that are not your biological children, there still is not the same bond there. It's just not. And so uh, it's hard. It's difficult. And I don't care how, you know, when you adopt a baby from birth, like I have a daughter, and if you know me for five minutes, you know about her. And uh, she is one of the most important people in my world. Uh, and I have a natural parent bond there. And it's because I've had her from the very beginning, and we pray for her, and we're, we're a blended family, but we have adopted her from birth. That's different. But having this situation, it's difficult because no matter who you are, and and I know everybody's so perfect and they pretend like everything's perfect, mm -hmm. but we both know that's crap. Mm -hmm. And so uh, it's a your kid, my kid thing, and it happens a lot. And mm -hmm. and it's it happens every once in a while, even if you're doing really good in it, and you got to deal with that stuff, right? And and so, uh, what's it like? From your point of view, Amber, as you, you know, will you live in a generational home? Um, uh, you have your mother-in-law there. Mm -hmm. You have uh, Amber, and David's not there, or is he there now? He is there. you got David, who's, you know, pretty much a man. I mean, he's man-age, but 
uh, and then you have Madison. So you let's all be a happy family together. So what's that like, Amber? What's the can you share just the struggles of being stepmom, having this other mom that's not really in the picture, uh, out you know here, and then you're trying to correct and be the mom she needs and dealing with all that stuff. Well, um, I agree with you. It, it is. There's a difference. The bond is different. Um, but God is good, and he is faithful. And um, I, she came in the picture wanting a mom. She wanted me to be her mom. Um, she craved that, needed that, desired that. But her idea of what a mom was was different from what a mom really is. And she thought we would braid each other's hair and um, paint each other's toenails. And, um, and when the discipline came in, she started to buck. And so our relationship got very difficult, um, and I prayed and prayed and struggled and was angry and angry, and, um, and, and God just told me one day, you need to change. Your heart needs to change, because um, I kept praying for God to change her, change her, change her, change her, and, um, and I realized that my heart needed to change, yeah. and so um, God has changed my heart. He's given me a desire to be her mother, um, and I'm not saying there's not difficult days because she has a lot of struggles, um, but God has changed my heart to fit what she needs, and he's given me the that natural desire to be her mom, and so it, it is difficult, um, but I've watched God in the past um, month really do a miracle in our home with my relationship with her and my desire to to be her mom, to be the mom that she needs. Awesome. Well, when my wife and I got married, I had a four-year-old. She had a 13-year-old, and I think Ashlyn was either 18 or 19. Mm -hmm. And so we blended them together. And so it was three and a half years of war, you know, uh, with us as a couple. And uh, we just were ignorant and immature, mm -hmm. but and so we, we, I think we've done really well. Uh, we've been married ten years in April, and so, but it's still there. It's still a struggle. It's always going to be there. You know, um, it's just something that you have to learn how to deal with, right? And especially coming from a background like we come from. Yeah. Uh, and so, let's let's kind of we lay in the plane here uh, we could really go further but i know that we're on a time crunch here do you ever fear relapse it's a loaded question it, it, it is and i don't uh, when you answer this question some people take it as prideful or they take it as um but i do not because that um when i got saved and he made everything new he made everything new and so now i don't trust in my I'm trusting the Holy Spirit that was promised to me to get me through, to walk me through certain areas and, and anything that could possibly go towards relapse, then I know that God is with me and then I don't have to use anymore. Okay. And being satisfied, you know. And so that's what, uh, that's where, that's, so it's not really a problem, I would say, a relapse. What about you, Amber? I, I don't fear relapse. Um, I was sober for 10 years and relapsed. And mm -hmm. I and I know then that I, I was not a Christian. My foundation wasn't on the word of God. Um, I wasn't leaning and depending upon him. Um, and I wasn't different. I was just a, 
I was an addict walking around um, with my addiction chasing me. And so um, I today am not an addict. God has changed me. He's made me new. I'm not the same person that I was in that cell. He changed me immediately um, and, and made my desires different. So the desires of my heart are after his desires. And so I'm not, I'm not that same person. So I don't, I don't fear relapse and I am content. I'm very thankful and grateful. And I think that when we lose sight of what God has given us, um, is when we start looking to other things. What, what's your favorite? You like sports? Uh, no, sir. Do you like sports? So no. this is going to be is shopping. Is shopping no. considered a sport? No, that's probably the weird Unless part. It's full is contact. Yeah, it's because I like to shop with her. Yeah, it's probably weird, yeah you're weird anyway. Yeah, so. that's right. But just say you have a favorite athlete, right? Uh-huh. What makes it what makes an athlete great is not how they stick their tongue out when they lay up, or how they put a bandaid under that certain eye, or their haircut, or the number of their jersey. What makes a gra- great athlete a great athlete is what you don't see on the field, and that's the discipline. That was really weird. I didn't blanch, did I? That was discipline. I tried Something just fell off the wall. If you're listening on online, uh, oh, I was not get hit video. Head. It's video caught that. <laughs> but so the discipline is is what makes them great, and and so you're preparing every day for those moments, right? And so I think the discipline that you have to serve God, the discipline to study, the discipline to read, the discipline that you have seeking God, and not just going through the motions, but living a life of worship prepares you for those moments where God, uh, the devil tests you, uh, where he sends those moments your way. And so if an athlete stops doing the things you don't see, that athlete's not going to be a great athlete anymore, you know? Um, And so the disciplines are very, very important. And we're going to have to land the plane. We're going to have to close this thing. Uh, I wish we could keep going, but uh, I just want to just kind of touch on a couple things. I want to ask you if you're happy. Are you happy right now? Happy and joyful. I'm joyful today. So that's where I'm at. I'm joyful today and and satisfied with what uh, my salvation was enough. And that's kind of where I'm at with all that we just talked about. So, Okay. What about you? I would say the same thing. I'm there. You've agreed with me twice. I know. We're on a roll. Don't just be saying I agree. (laughs) You got to give. Come on. I would agree um, because there are um, there are things that have happened, especially recently, that have made me very sad. Um, That's right. But I have a peace. God has made me content, and my my goal is not here. My goal is eternity, and so um, I'm very content um, and very thankful um, for what God has given me. And things may happen that are sad and, and hard for me, um, but I am full of joy. Amen. 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 So God can and will reach down into the gutter and uh, pull people out and change their life radically, and it's through the Word of God. It's through trusting in Christ alone, through faith alone, by grace alone, to save us, uh, repenting of our sins and placing our faith in Him, right, surrendering Him. Mm-hmm. Uh, thank you for coming on and thank sharing, you. and just talking with me and sharing your lives. I hope somebody that's watching this is encouraged. Um, I hope somebody listening to this is encouraged. Uh, and if, if you've enjoyed this podcast, One Broken Life, I'm reminded of Philippians 1.12. It says, um, the things which you've heard and seen and saw in me, uh, um, it actually doesn't say that. 
I'm quoting something different. Philippians 1.12 says, the things which have happened to me have actually turned out for the furtherance of the gospel. Mm. And uh, that that's our story here. Um, the things which happened to me, the things which happened to you, the things which happened to Amber, Will. Um, if you've enjoyed One Broken Life, would you please uh, subscribe, uh, share it on Facebook, uh, let your friends know about it. There's people you know who are struggling. You can copy it on Spotify and you can text it to someone and say, listen to this. Uh, this is a ministry. We take our time, set this up. We do this so we can reach people. That's the goal is to give people hope, encourage them, edify people on what it, what it's like coming out of our background, kind of give them an idea as we explore broken lives. Um, you can like us. You can comment on our page. Let us know what you think. Uh, if you want to support Freeway Ministries, this is a production of Freeway Ministries. You can go to our website, www.freeway-ministries.com, and you can actually uh, give there and help us as we reach one broken life at a time. Will, once again, thank you, Amber. Yeah, thanks thank for you. having us. It's been great. Uh, look forward to seeing what God's doing next in your life. Amen. Amen.